that honestly had all the makings of a type of game that usually ends with the avalanche getting goalie but it also reminded me quite a bit of late last season when the avs were you know on that late run in in march and in april to secure the division title where they were going into arizona going into san jose winning these big games sometimes needing to claw back and win back to backs and take the coyotes to a shootout and all of these different ways that they had to win where quite frankly sometimes they maybe didn't deserve it not that today was that but they always got the job done and that's the key factor here for the avalanche's victory Saturday night against the San Jose Sharks, 2-1 in the shootout, thanks to a goal from Miko Rantanen. Of course, I am Eric Dean of Mile High Sports, uh, and this is another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast, presented by Superbook Sports. I'm going to keep this one short because we're simply just going to talk about this game here, and I just kind of want to go over a little bit of what I saw, what I thought was really fascinating with the way that the avalanche came away with this victory. Um... Number one, right right off the bat, I have to mention it because it would be hilarious if I didn't, but Nathan McKinnon had 14 shots on goal and didn't have a single point. Like, you're not going to see that happen many, many times, if ever again. Um, so I thought that was really crazy. Mackenzie Blackwood played out of his mind. But something that really stuck out to me with the Fs tonight is it didn't seem like anything really got in their way. And I heard uh, Miko Rantanen, or sorry, Kale McCarr postgame in the dressing room, he was talking to reporters and mentioned something along the line where like the thought really never came to his mind that they were going to let this one slip away or that they were going to get goalied or anything like that. And you often hear players say things like that and it sounds a little cliche, but this time it sounded pretty like he was honest. He was genuinely being honest because we saw, let's, let's just kind of, you know, break down the key factors of this game. Starting from the first period, the Avalanche come out strong. Matt Benning takes a penalty shortly after Jonathan Drouin, and on that, or sorry, uh, Drouin was in the second period, but Matt Benning takes a penalty early in the first period, and uh, the Avalanche have this exceptional power play. That's where I tweeted out how incredible the top unit looked. They were on the ice for a minute 45, but Blackwood stood tall. Then, a few minutes later, Thomas Bordalo redirects a shot from Matt Benning, puts the Sharks on the board, I think at the... Sh- at the time, the shots were ten to three or ten to two, something you know, something outrageous like that. Just you know, a total one-sided affair, and it even showed you know the eye test. It passed the eye test as well. The Avalanche were dominating play and controlling play. Then in the second period, or obviously later in the first period, the Avs get another power play. Giovanni Smith uh, heads to the box. They make nothing of it. In the second period, Jonathan Drouin takes a penalty, <clears throat> and San Jose. Doesn't get anything on the power play, but they started to kind of build a little bit of something. Uh, they had a little bit of momentum in that second period for a little bit. You know, the, the the game wasn't as one-sided for that middle part. And then eventually the period ends with a Val Nichushkin penalty that ends up carrying over into the third period. And then you get to the third period. The Avs kill off that penalty. Then Devon Taves takes a penalty. They kill that one off. Now we're at the halfway mark of regulation. They still can't beat Blackwood. They pull the goalie. They control play. They dominate play there. They eventually get the goal. They get to overtime. Nathan McKinnon takes a penalty. So now there is very little reason to believe that they can get through this. And they kill off the penalty. Nathan McKinnon comes out of the box. It's, it's you know the more traditional or old school four-on-four overtime because McKinnon comes out of the box in a four-on-three power play. 
uh, and the whistle doesn't blow. The Avalanche don't get anything out of it. Goes to the shootout. Miko Rantanen gets the one goal. Georgiev stops all three, and that's it. That's that. It's just everything about it just felt like they genuinely, in the heart of hearts, felt like they were going to do it, and they did. And uh, those are the kind of performances that you look back on and really appreciate, especially late in the season when you're looking at the standings. Um, and and those are the ones that are going to end up mattering. I thought Ryan Johansson was exceptional in the faceoff circle once again. Uh, he won 17 of 28 draws. And man, the guy took 28 of the team's 64 draws, nearly half of them. That is the exact reason why you brought this guy in. That is exactly why you brought him in. They do need some help in the faceoff circle because from the fourth line, Frederick Olofsson was 0-5 and Cogliano won 1-4. of 4. So combined, they only won 1-10. of 10. You can't have that. Josh Manson had to take a faceoff, very unique because of that shorthanded opportunity or the, the penalty kill in, the, in uh, overtime where Cogliano got kicked out of the circle. He lost that. Uh, Arturi Lekkinen took a faceoff. He lost that. And then on the top line, Mr. 14 shots and 22 shot attempts. Nathan McKinnon only won one of nine, but Miko Rantanen won five of seven. And of course, the other centerman, Ross Colton, had eight faceoffs. He won three. So the Avalanche were dominated in the dot. They won 27, they lost 37, but their 27 wins, 17 of them came from Ryan Johansson. And that's why you brought that guy in. And since we're talking about Ryan Johansson, I do want to touch on the second line because that was probably the one unit that I was a little bit critical of after opening night. And uh, I thought they were great today. I thought Arturi Lekinen, uh was starting to generate. He played he played well. He had, I believe, the second most shots in the game. He was at eight. Uh, so he was up and down the ice. Val Nichushkin was the beast that we know him to be tonight. It was a far greater performance than we saw in the first game. Uh, and he wasn't terrible in the first game. He just didn't seem like Val. Now it seems like Val. He only played 16-37 because, again... The part that's still an adjustment is he's not on the top power play unit, so his minutes aren't as inflated as other players. For example, Arturi Lekkinen played 552 on the power play. Val Nachushkin only got a minute 32. Uh, but at 5-on-5, five five, Val played two and a half minutes almost more than Arturi Lekkinen. So, uh, you know, he's all over the ice. He's also on the penalty kill. He played a minute and a half of shorthanded ice time as well. Um, so I thought Nichushkin was great. And I thought Ryan Johansson was fitting right in. He had that opportunity in the first period. One of the many golden opportunities that just couldn't get past Blackwood. It was the one that was, uh, knocked away by Jan Ruda just before it crossed the goal line. And if there's something I love about Ryan Johansson, he kind of has this demeanor when he's walking just in general. Um, but he's got a great, are you freaking kidding me face? That face you make where you look up into the sky, roll your eyes, and just, are you freaking kidding me when Yan Ruda was able to knock that puck away? Uh, it's it's a funny thing to say, but Johansson's got a great, are you freaking kidding me face? So keep an eye out for that, hopefully, the next time uh, he pots it home. But if he doesn't, keep an eye out for the reaction from Sir Ryan Johansson, who on the top power play unit was on the ice for six minutes and 28 seconds obviously Kale McCarr 629 Nathan McKinnon 637 Arturi Lekin in 552 and leading the bunch Miko Rantanen in 638 and that unit just couldn't get couldn't get one past Blackwood for whatever reason uh but regardless the Avs came away with the victory Miles Wood once again four hits leads the team 11 minutes and nine seconds of total ice time 
We saw the return of Andrew Cogliano, and he was great. 11 minutes and 7 seconds really brought an extra punch to the fourth line. Uh, obviously, Logan O'Connor once again played big minutes on the PK. He had over two minutes of ice time on the uh, shorthanded. Um, and we saw Cogliano over three minutes. So, you know, it started to level out a little bit from where O'Connor was in that first game, playing almost four and a half minutes, I believe it was, because uh, Cogliano missed the missed the game and McDermott was in the lineup. For the centerman, for Frederick Olofsson, I'm still not sold on him as a centerman. Um, I don't think Jared Bednar is sold on him on a, as a centerman, and I think that that's something uh, to keep an eye on. I, I know the Avalanche lacks center depth, and that's kind of their big thing right now, and you know, I <laughs> I often go back to it and I, I think of Ben Myers and like this opportunity for him to be a fourth line center on this team. As soon as the Avalanche started to put their roster together, because before July 1st, they went out and got Ryan Johansson and Ross Colton. And then on the 1st of July, they went out and got Jonathan Drouin and Miles Wood. From that point, before they ever signed Thomas Tatar, from that point, every single roster that I wrote down, I jotted down, I tweeted out, I put online, I, I thought to myself, it was always with the four centers being McKinnon, Johansson, Colton, Myers. And I'm looking at Frederick Olofsson's uh, struggle in the face-off circle. I'm looking at a player that probably should be on the wing on this team's depth chart, playing center because Ben Myers couldn't grab a hold of that opportunity. And again, it's not the end of the Ben Myers experiment or the Ben Myers uh, era of avalanche hockey. I don't think it is. I still think he's got something there. But man, you got to be watching these games and thinking I let one slip past me because going into training camp, he was the fourth best centerman on the depth chart and just did not solidify that opportunity. And he had every opportunity to have it. Uh, during the game, I texted Peter Baugh, who's out obviously in San Jose and on his way to Seattle. I'm here in Denver. Um, and I told him contract and AAV aside, Nico Sturm would look real good as the fourth line center on this team. And, uh, you know, that goes back to the Stanley cup year. It goes back to the chemistry he has with Cogliano. The two of them combined for a pretty big goal in game four against the lightning at Amelie arena back then. Um, and he's got the chemistry, a line of Cogliano, Sturm, O'Connor would be fun. But obviously that's not going to happen. He makes a lot of money. He's signed for multiple years with the San Jose Sharks. I'm still not sold on Frederick Olofsson, not as a player, but as a centerman. I think he's a good depth winger. And um, if you had a fourth line center of, you know, Ben Myers or whatever, then when you have an injured Cogliano for opening night, well, you can turn to Frederick Olofsson and go with an Olofsson Myers O'Connor, for example. But you need Ben Myers to step up or another fourth line center. Um which obviously I think to me, if Ben Myers doesn't grab a hold of that spot by January or so, or January or February or so, I, I think that that's going to be the quote-unquote big forward move the Avalanche make at the deadline, assuming everybody stays healthy, Tatar, everybody kind of has their has their part in the lineup. I would imagine that aside from Kovalenko joining the team, I think a fourth line center would be their addition and something similar to what they did with the trade for Nico Sturm a couple years ago. That was a big addition at the time and and uh, that's might be the kind of move they need. So we are only two games in the season and I'm already talking about the trade deadline, but sometimes uh, you got to look ahead and I think the fourth line center position is something that they're already looking ahead about if Frederick Olofsson doesn't really pick it up, which I have my doubts. Again, I'm not doubting him as a player. I'm just doubting him as a permanent centerman. 
So we'll see how that goes. We'll see if Riley Tufty gets an opportunity or if Ben Myers eventually gets a call up. Um, but with that, uh, a couple of the guys to call out, I thought, uh, like I said, I mentioned earlier, Miles Wood, I thought he was exceptional. I love seeing him skate. He's got one of the highest top speeds in the NHL. He's a really fast skater. And man, I'm learning more and more each night why the Avalanche gave him a six-year term and we're confident in doing so. Um, so shout out to him for another great game. Drew N was a little bit more quiet, but still, you know, noticeable. Tatar was pretty quiet completely. He didn't have any shots. I think he only had one shot attempt. Um, but that's the kind of player Thomas Tatar is. You know, he's not coming in to play a Ross Colton or Miles Wood type of uh, energy game. He's the kind of guy that puts up points. And when he's not putting up points, you might not even recognize or realize he's on the ice. And sometimes it happens. Um, but in the end, the Avalanche got the victory. Uh, in the first game of the post Devon Taves contract extension, he puts up 22 minutes and 28 seconds. He himself had four shots to go along with Kel McCarr's five shots. Uh, and obviously Nathan McKinnon had 14. Miko Rantanen had three. Arturi Lekkinen had eight. So a lot of guys had multiple shots in this game. Nichushkin had three as well. Um, but all around great effort. The last guy I want to touch on to end this quick post gamer is Alexander Georgiev, who... When acquired by the Avalanche, what is it now, 15 months ago or so? A little over 15 months ago when the Avalanche acquired this guy, he had 58 career wins and nobody really knew what the Avs were getting themselves into. They certainly thought they had an idea of what they were getting into, but I don't think anybody else thought this. He came here with 58 wins 15 months ago and today he hit 100. His 42nd win in Avalanche uniform. Last year, he went 14, 40, 19, and 5 or something like that. And uh, he's already, or sorry, 40, 19, and 3, I believe it was the totals. And he's already 2-0 and this year. 42nd win, 100th of his career. So shout out to Alexander Georgiev. You know, it's easy to talk about how great a night Mackenzie Blackwood had because he did because the avalanche outshot the San Jose Sharks friggin' 52 to 21. But it's also worth mentioning that Georgiev, you know, he faced a two on one. He faced a couple breakaways. He obviously had some tip shots, one that beat him and to have to stay that sharp and play that way. And then have a four on three PK in overtime and make a save there too is not as easy as it seems. So Mackenzie Blackwood was exceptional, but you got to hand it to Alexander Georgiev, especially given the fact that it took 58 minutes and 34 seconds in regulation for the Avalanche to even get one past Blackwood. It was crucial for Georgiev from the eight minute mark of the first period when Bortolo scored until 18 minutes of the third period. So 50, 5 50 minutes later, it was crucial for Georgiev to shut her down and he did. And that's what the Avalanche needed to win. They are in Seattle Tuesday night for their first game against the team that eliminated them from the playoffs last year before finally coming home Thursday for that home opener against the Chicago Blackhawks. We're going to put an end to it here. I will talk to you guys in a few days.